Welcome to Lady in the Couch, a podcast about mental health and well-being, relationships, and topics specifically related to it. I am your host, Autumn Collier, a licensed psychotherapist in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's have a seat on the couch. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. So today's episode, Stop Mind Reading. So we're going to talk about mind reading. So mind reading. You know, we all do it, and you may be surprised it has an actual name. It is classified as this. Mind reading is a term most licensed mental health professionals are familiar with. So it is further explored as a component of cognitive behavioral therapy. So mind reading is something, you know, you see on on movies or you know, you think about where someone has a superpower where they can read someone else's mind. And yeah, it's kind of used in that same way as I will talk about it in this episode, except that the way it is used that I'm going to be talking about, it is used as a thought distortion, a distorted way of thinking. So mind reading, I'll give you an example, and I'm sure it'll maybe ring a bell with, with most of you. So mind reading might look like this. Here's a scenario. So let's say that someone is having a party and they're passing out invitations. And this might be what you say. Well, everyone else got their invitation to the party on Tuesday, but I didn't get mine until Friday. So she probably wasn't going to invite me, but someone she really wanted to be there couldn't make it. So then she figured that she would go ahead and invite me so I could come to the party. That's an example of mind reading. Or another example might be everyone's looking at my outfit because they think it's ugly. That's another example. Another one could be while in a work meeting, someone may be saying to themselves, oh, I just fumbled over my words. They probably think I'm stupid or that I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Those are examples of mind reading. Does any of that sound familiar? Yeah, probably it does because it is something we all do. So that line of thinking is called mind reading. And it has been identified as a distorted way of thinking, according to the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a is an evidence based treatment modality that mental health professionals use um, to treat different diagnoses such as depression, anxiety and a plethora of others. So mind reading is a distorted way of thinking. It is a misperception that then unfortunately creates an emotion. So, you know, we're creating an emotion or an emotion is developing based on a misperception or based on a distortion. So we can already see how that's leading to an undesired result. Mind reading involves predicting that you know what someone else is thinking, you know, when in reality, you don't. Reality is we don't truly know what anyone is thinking. However, when we mind read, We are telling ourselves a narrative or telling ourselves that this person is thinking this. So this thought distortion, mind reading can occur in many relationship settings, you know, whether it's the dynamic between platonic friends or work relationships, parent-child, any type of relationship setting. And it also commonly occurs between romantic partners. So an example of mind reading in a romantic relationship might look like this. Well, he said he didn't want to hang out tonight, so he must be getting tired of me. Yeah, he's probably going to try to break up with me soon. That is mind reading. You are trying to, or you are trying to predict the thoughts of someone else. 
So while we all mind read from time to time, any thought distortion, so mind reading is just one of many thought distortions. So any thought distortion used in overdrive is detrimental. After all, it is a thought distortion. It is a distorted and irrational way of thinking. Keyword irrational. But thought distortions are very irrational and it is overall unhealthy. So the way we humans are wired, our emotions are a result of the way we look or think about things. So, you know, even looking further into cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, the premise of it is, you know, it's not life's events that make us feel away. It's what we tell ourselves or think about the event that makes us feel away. You know, I'll give an example here. I've seen two people respond to divorce very differently based on what they chose to think about it or what they told themselves about it. So let's take person one, for example, who experienced a divorce. Person one, this you know, their disposition was, well, I'll never rebound. Everyone will think I'm a failure. No one else will ever want me. People are probably saying, you know, X, Y, Z about me. That was their disposition. And as you can see, or as you hear, there's a lot of mind reading going on with this individual. And as a result, person one, you know, was feeling depressed and even worthless. And as you can see, what that person was telling themselves was a lot of irrational thinking as a result of the mind reading thought distortion. And then let's take person two. So person two had a different disposition. Theirs was, you know, my divorce sucks and I know this is part of my journey. We were not good for each other and I am certain there is someone more compatible for me. So this person had a different disposition. And, you know, some would say this is as simple as the glass is half full, the glass is half empty thinking. And yeah, some of that is actually kind of true. The glass half full premise is, it, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, person two, they were real with themselves with the idea that, yeah, divorce sucks. Absolutely, it sucks. So while divorce sucks, no doubt, this individual was able to ward off any unnecessary or extra feelings regarding the divorce by eliminating the mind reading or not letting the mind reading come into play. You know, you can also see with persons who there was no mind reading or distorted thinking. So a takeaway from this is what we tell ourselves or think influences how we feel, which then influences how we behave. So if we look back at person one, I just want to connect the whole idea of what we tell ourselves or think influences how we feel, which influences how we behave. You know, I'm holding my hands up now in like a triangle because it is somewhat of a triangle, thought, feelings, behaviors. So taking person one, their thoughts are, I'll never rebound. Everyone will think I'm a failure. No one else will want me. So then as a result, their feelings or emotions likely are depression and feelings of worklessness. So then as a result of that, their behavior or actions could likely be isolating, not wanting to be around people, rejecting others, rejecting their company. So we see how thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, that triangle, it all just really flows. So, you know, you look at uh, person two, theirs will likely be the opposite because they're choosing a different narrative or choosing to tell themselves something different. So as we get back to thinking about mind reading, I'll point out that there is the social behavior of being able to read a room. I think that's a pretty good skill to have, being able to read a room. This is useful and allows us to get a feel for an environment based on some objective clues. So it is helpful to be able to read a room, 
as opposed to mind read. And these are ultimately two different things as well, because as we read a room, we're also reading the room based on objective clues. So for instance, let's say, you know, your best friend's dog has died and you come over to your best friend's house to visit and you come to her house with your dog and your best friend then begins to look sad seeing you interact with your dog. We can probably infer she is missing her dog and that she is sad. So yeah, that that is useful to be able to read the room. However, when we mind read, which mind reading, we're not necessarily doing it off of objective clues or cues, then that presents an issue. So mind reading in overdrive does not serve us and it is not useful. So now that you are aware of mind reading and what it is, and you're probably thinking, oh man, I really do do that because um, everyone does. It's just a matter of where are you on the spectrum? Are you on the, the side of the spectrum where you don't do it frequently? Or are you on the side of the spectrum where you do it excessively? So think about where you fall on that spectrum. But now that you're aware of it, let's talk about some ways to redirect mind reading. And notice I said redirect versus eliminate. Thought distortions happen, and I don't know if it is realistic to expect them to never happen. So what we do want, however, is for them to not be excessive and to quickly redirect a thought distortion when we have one. One of the first steps to redirect thought distortions or the thought distortion of mind reading is to acknowledge it. So acknowledge mind reading behavior is the first step. From there, we want to challenge the thought. So the thing about thought distortions is they are irrational and based off of little evidence, just more so feeling. So we want to challenge and look for proof. So let's take the example mentioned prior. Um, Everyone else got their invitation to the party on Tuesday, but I didn't get mine until Friday. She probably wasn't going to invite me, but someone she really wanted to be there couldn't make it. So she's letting me come to the party. There are many parts to challenge in this whole scenario. So we can start by, we can start by saying, show me the evidence, show me the evidence. And this is something, you know, we do with our clients as part of CBT, show me the evidence. And every time I say it, um, show me the evidence, I think back to the 90s movie, Jerry Maguire, when they would yell, show me the money. So, you know, I say, show me the evidence. And so for some of my younger clients, they're looking at me like, Jerry, who? So, and, you know, I just laugh and tell them, yes, yeah, an early 90s thing. So, yeah, so think about that. Kind of Show me the money. Show me the evidence. That is what we're looking for. Show me the evidence. So then we would go through the scenario and really looking for the evidence. So I'll say, show me the evidence that everyone received their invitation on Tuesday. Again, with this scenario, there's a lot to cross-examine here. So show me the evidence that everyone received their invitation on Tuesday. Okay. Show me the evidence that you're the only one who got their invitation on Friday. Show me the evidence that you weren't going to be invited. Show me the evidence someone she really wanted to be there couldn't make it and so on. So there are so many things to challenge in this scenario. So as we continue, we keep doubling down. So someone's response might be, well, my other friends got theirs on Tuesday. Okay, sure. So show me the evidence that because some of your friends received theirs on Tuesday means that she wasn't going to invite you. And then someone she really wanted to be there couldn't make it. And now she's allowing you to come. You know, the person may then say, well, well, no one else got their invitation on Friday. So show me the evidence. You have her whole guest list and asked everyone on the list which day they received theirs. So then she may say, well, no one else got theirs on Friday. So before I challenge that, I would probably also say, okay, so you're saying that 
you have her whole guest list and that you ask everyone on the list which day they receive theirs, just, just for clarity, because that's likely not the case. So then we'll go, show me the evidence that you getting your invitation on Friday means you were not originally on the list. And we'll just keep doubling down and doubling down. And then, you know, eventually they may say something like, well, it just seems that way to me that because I got mine on Friday, then that means she probably didn't want me there and that, 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 that. Okay. So there is no proof. It was just really subjective thinking. And, you know, the thing about subjective thinking is that it is subjective because it is based on our own experiences, our own beliefs, things we have encountered throughout our lives. So let's say that this individual has come to the conclusion about the invitation and not getting hers on Friday and not being invited originally. All that has been concluded based on subjective thinking, which may have stemmed from a childhood situation that created this belief within them. So maybe as a child, this individual, the same individual, maybe wasn't invited to a party and was the only one or one of the few only ones not invited to the party in their class. That really sucks. That does suck. And now as an adult, this person may have told themselves that or they may have this core belief that no one really wants to invite me to the party. They're just doing it because they feel like they have to or because who they really want can't make it. So that might be their core belief that has stemmed from childhood. And that actually may not be true in this situation. But because they are coming from a subjective place, that is what they believe. So now as an adult, you have told yourself that this is happening again, though there is no proof. So we want to challenge our thinking and find evidence to support our thoughts. Once you have challenged and cross-examined, you know, and I say that like cross-examined because you are essentially putting your thoughts on trial and really trying to work through them to find evidence as if you are in court. So once you have challenged and cross-examined your distorted thoughts and have found no evidence, then you can rest your case. So really ask yourself if mind reading was useful in the situation, if your mind reading was beneficial to you, or if it felt healthy for you. And it likely will not feel healthy or beneficial to you. And then especially if you have no evidence, then we rest our case. And one way, you know, if you sometimes it's easier said than done just to put it aside, having found no evidence, we would like to just put that thought distortion aside and just put it down, rest our case there. One thing you can say to yourself to further help you do that is no, I tell myself. So that is a a simple statement. No, I tell myself you'll put it at the beginning of that distortion. I'll give you the example. So you use this simple phrase, no, I tell myself at the beginning of the distortion And that statement, no, I tell myself, separates fact from distortion. So using the same example, everyone else got their invitation on Tuesday. I got mine on Friday. She must not want me there. Since you didn't find evidence to support it, you simply say to yourself, no, I tell myself that I wasn't originally on the list. And someone she really wanted to be there must not be able to show up. So what that does is it really separates The fact, the fact is, no, I'm telling myself this from the distortion. You're creating some separation to let yourself know that what you're telling yourself is not real. That is a distorted way of thinking. It is irrational. So by saying, no, I tell myself, that creates some distance so that it doesn't feel like it's your reality that is happening. It creates some separation. So now you can definitely try to rest your case and put it down, especially after telling yourself, no, I tell myself this. That, that essentially means it's not true. This is just what I'm telling myself. So some of you may be wondering, okay, 
So I get the whole mind reading thing and challenging it and not having any evidence to support it. Okay, cool. What if I do find some evidence? Okay. So let's say you find evidence to support your thought. So let's say your thought is everyone is looking at my outfit because they think it is ugly. Okay. Then you go through the whole gamut. Show me the evidence. Okay. Well, I overheard a couple of girls in the bathroom specifically saying my outfit was ugly. Okay. Well, all right. So we got some evidence. So, however, we can also still challenge the notion that everyone, everyone is looking at my outfit. You know, everyone is not true. And maybe we can really rein it in to say a couple of girls think my outfit is ugly. We have evidence. And that is more of a factual statement. A couple of girls think my outfit is ugly. So, so we have facts around that. And since we have evidence, it is no longer mind reading. It is a fact. It is an occurrence. It is a situation. It is reality. So then we ask ourselves, so what does that mean? What does that mean to us? What does it mean to us that a couple of girls think I have an ugly outfit? Does that say more about them or does it say anything about me at all? So what do we, what do we make of that? We might actually even be surprised that we actually feel more peaceful or content with having the evidence, even if the evidence is deemed negative. We may be more content having the evidence because it removes the uncertainty. People do not like uncertainty. They do not like knowing. They'd rather create a dialogue or narrative, good or bad, to try to find certainty as opposed to just sitting in uncertainty and not knowing. That is very uncomfortable for some people. So even in this case, overhearing the girls say, you know, the outfit is ugly, that might provide some relief to the individual because now they know for sure and they're not wrestling in their mind. Oh, they're, they're probably thinking this. They're probably thinking that. No, now they have some certainty, which might create some relief for them. So when you have your evidence, then the mind reading will likely essentially stop. And then we wouldn't even really call it mind reading. It would just be a fact. So that's, you know, what it would be if you had your, your evidence. But in terms of the distorted mind reading thoughts, it is unlikely that you will find evidence to support it. And if you do find evidence, then really ask yourself, okay, so what did this, what does this evidence mean? Does it really even mean anything for me? Does it really say more about them than it does about me? You know, you can go on and explore from there. So as we conclude, I want to just kind of recap what we went over today. Mind reading is a thought distortion and it is very common. The first step to minimize mind reading and its effects is to recognize when we are doing it. And then next, we want to challenge our thoughts by finding the evidence. Show me the evidence. And if we find no evidence, then we rest our case and remind ourselves, no, I tell myself. If there ever is evidence, then it is really no longer mind reading and you very well may have comfort in having certainty. All right, so I hope this has been helpful, especially now being able to name the thing you've been doing, known as mind reading. Again, it is very common. We all do it. And it is not something that is helpful when in overdrive or used excessively. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Lady in the Couch. Feel free to share this episode with your friends on all of your social media platforms. If you are in the Atlanta area and seeking therapy, visit ladyinthecouch.com to learn more. Like what you heard? Feel free to give us a five-star review where you listen to podcasts. The content in this episode is not intended to diagnose or treat. It is for informational purposes only.